Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another exciting show for you lined up this week. As usual, we've got a few of our business tips from the Harvard Business Review that we can share with you. We're also talking with Christina Sikiatis with our Minute on Innovation. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Tony Vidre from AB Chartered Accountants. Good afternoon, Tony. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, I believe the tax office is getting into data matching. They love, they love data matching, particularly from third parties. This is what one of the great things that their new computer system has been able to do, reach out and uh, cross-check data from all sorts of different databases and, uh, and companies. And essentially they, they send uh, some of these companies a notice and say, give us all the information you have and we will cross-check it with uh, the data that we have. So to give you an idea, it's called a specialised uh, payment system data matching program. So... They've given us notice that they're going to contact the banks and get all their BPAY data. Uh, they're going to look into Bill Buddy, uh, Debit Success, E-Debit, Easy Debits, Easy Pay. Sounds a bit like Willy Wonka. Uh, FFA Pay Smart, um, all these sort of things, and, and PayPal Australia. So what they're looking for, Julian, is for people who are receiving money through all of these um, specialised places... And then they'll cross-check and say, well, how come you're not declaring all of these receipts as income? Seems like you're running a little bit of a business on the side. Why aren't you registered for GST? And then uh, you have to answer all those, uh, all those embarrassing questions. So, so it's going to catch a lot of the hobby-type businesses, do you think? Yeah, look, yeah, and the, the hobby businesses are a real grey area. At, one po- at what point, we can probably yeah. put this on the agenda to have a bit of a chat about next year, but at what point does the, uh, the hobby, you know, making almond bread and making cupcakes on a weekend and selling them at the stalls, at what point is that a hobby? Does it go from, oh, look, it's just we're just covering costs to it being a full business. business where we have to start, you know, charging GST and registering and doing all all things properly? So I guess they're looking for people who are um, who've got high levels of turnover and obviously spend lots and lots of time selling things um, online. And mm. but but not only that, they're also looking for the BPay data. They're looking for um, for transactions. So for example, let's say they see that you're paying. Um, tens of thousands of dollars uh, across in BPAY buying things and let's say they add it up and say okay we, we've added up here and you've spent about $60,000 through BPAY um, but you've declared $40,000 as income. How does that work? Mm, okay. So they're the, they're the sort of things that they're looking for as well, undeclared income and it's Again, look, at the end of the day, they're doing their job and making sure that they reach out and, and make sure everyone pays their fair share. And uh, talking about increasing technology, they're now looking at voice authentication. Yeah, you've got to bounce this off Christina later on in your, uh, yeah. in your program. This is, this is innovation at its best. Um, they, they're introducing a voice authentication process. So to give you an idea, the tax office receives something like 8 million phone calls per annum, people ringing up queries, all that sort of stuff. And... As you can imagine, they're yeah. receiving phone calls. They have to prove who, yeah, have to prove who you are. So they go through a process of, of what they call POI, uh, proof of identity. You have to give all sorts of dates of birth and all those sort of things. They're really moving with the times now. So they're going to they're gonna trial the voice authentication process. So you just talk normally. <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> they record your voice. And what it does is it makes a voice print. It's a digi- digital representation of the sound, the rhythm, the physical characteristics and the, and the patterns in a person's voice. So the next time when you ring and you say, I'm Julian Campbell, and they, they say, just so, you know, speak normally, they can track that back to their database and they actually know that it's you and away you go and you can ask all sorts of questions about your BAS and payment summaries and all that sort of, 
wonderful stuff. How, how do they know it's me on the phone, though? I mean, what's to stop me recording somebody else or, or even you, you and I on the radio? People could record our voices. Well, when you ring up to first do this thing, you, you'll jump through a few hoops to prove okay. who you are. So once they prove and they know that it's you and they ask you questions like your date of birth and uh, post office box and tax file numbers and dates, you know, cross-checking drive, you know. And your first car and your mother's maiden name. And... <laughs> That's it, the certificate, yeah, the number on, your, the, on the, the certificate for your 25-metre breaststroke that you got when you were six years of age, all that sort of stuff. Once they know it's you, they go, right, now record your voice. Okay. And, and then they know it's you. So, um, yeah, I, there's some great clips on YouTube about Scottish accents and how people just, you know, voice recognition yeah. does not understand the Scottish accent. So so no no tricking the system, Julie. None of this, I'll have a sausage sandwich with sauce routine. You have to, <laughs> you have to talk normally. But what yeah. I find really intriguing about this is, and this is where it'll backfire, is if you try and anonymously phone the, the tax office and say, listen, I just want to dob in my neighbour because they're running a business, they're making a massive production of cupcakes here and they're selling them on weekends and, and they're running a business, they're no, going to say... No, no, oh, it's you. It's you, Julian. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. Well, yeah, it is. We know your voice, Pat, and we know your voice recognition. Yeah. So, so the days of anonymously ringing up might, uh, might be coming to an end as well. It's almost like they do on the TV where they did the face recognition and the voice recognition to find people, isn't it? Well, a little bit of a segue as to why you and I aren't talking um, next month. I'll be um, going to Chicago. Now, the last time we did that, our passports that we have right now has facial recognition software at the airport. So instead of queuing up, um, because ours are fairly new, you can actually stand in front of a machine. It'll take a photo of your face. It'll actually analyse your whole bone structure and all that sort of stuff, married up to the passport, and uh, you can walk right through. Wow. Gee. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty incredible stuff. Now, you said earlier there's been a spike in Ghana shoes. Yeah, look, this is the bad side. I guess, um, look, every business has problems with cash flow, and um, and we know we've been through probably a three, four, maybe even five-year period of where things have been really tight. The mining industry has obviously contracted. A lot of people, particularly in our industries, are connected to the... Um, <clears throat> in our, sorry, sorry, in our... Area in our area has been connected to the mining industry. So some people have done it really tough, but the tax office have really ramped up garnishy orders. So the message with this is don't ignore anything you know, anything from the tax office. Communication is king. If you are having troubles, if you're getting a letter, you really need to pick up the phone, <laughs> go through the voice recognition, speak to them, organise payment arrangements and stick to it. Because if you're... And even that is fraught with some danger, which I, I won't go into now. But... Um, the problem is if you ignore it, what they can do is they say, right, well, you're not complying, you owe us money. They will go directly to your bank, they will serve a notice to your bank, they'll reach in and they'll take money out of your bank account. Now, I think the rules are something along the lines of um, 70% of the of the debt that's owed, so they'll actually issue... And the first you know about it is you either log onto your internet banking and there's a withdrawal um, out of your account that you haven't authorised, or you get a letter from your bank saying we have had to send this money off to the tax office. Yeah. All right, and it hurts. So the message is, as you say, don't ignore anything. Don't ignore it, yeah. I had, a, I had an interesting one with a client of mine a while back where he actually ignored um, threatening letters from his workers' compensation company. And he thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll deal with that later, I'll deal with it later. Unbeknownst to him, the workers' comp people um, went to the courts, filled in a form and uh, applied to have the company wound up, and he, and he ignored those. And the first he kind of realised when he, it hit him in the head was when he sat down one night, logged onto his internet banking, and the company bank account on his internet banking had disappeared. Mm. So 
So he panicked and rang them up and said, um, what's happened here? Where's my company bank account? And they said, well, we've got a notice here to say that your company's uh, in liquidation. The proceeds have had to be handed over um, to a liquidator. And it's all because... He ignored. You ignore correspondence. So mm. don't ignore correspondence. Great. Well, you have a great trip over to the States uh, next month, and we'll talk to you again in February. So have a good, have a, good Christmas. Yeah, it might be a bit early to start wishing everyone a happy Christmas, but <laughs> it is what it is. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Julian. Good on. Have a good... Yeah, all the best. Bye-bye. Tony Vidray there from AV Chartered Accountants. Here's little... The way technology is going, all these little things are creeping in. We've got to be aware of them. And as he said, don't ignore any correspondence. And you're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. It's coming up to 25 minutes past one. Time to pop over to Christina Sikiotis. Good afternoon, Christina. Hi, Julian. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Now, I believe there's been a growth in small entrepreneurs there surely has, and it, um, there's a plethora of articles and information out there about the rise of the entrepreneur um, and the silo operator, the, the sole trader, the small businesses that are that are coming through, um, and sometimes they're a result um, of redundancies because we know that they're happening quite thick and fast at the moment in various industries, um, but people are actually looking for different opportunities, and as we're moving away from the standard um, professions, if you like, and as we're moving away from the standard jobs and the, and the mines are having all the hassles and the um, aluminium smelters, etc., people are looking for new opportunities. Uh, so the, the rise of the entrepreneur, as we've been calling it, um, has been something that's been a bit profound lately and there's more and more people registering small businesses, which is just a, um, a great thing because we already know that small business is the backbone um, and we already know that it generates so many millions of dollars a year or billions of dollars a year in the economy and employees um, through through small numbers or through contracting, which is becoming more and more popular as well. Um, many people, there's a lot of money travelling around the economy because of all these small businesses and, and the entrepreneurial opportunities that are coming up. Does that mean we're becoming more more innovative? We are, because we're looking at yeah. gaps, Julian, and we're looking at where the missing links are. Solutions. Um, I think... A, a co- yeah, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about design thinking and um, David Kelly's thing is watch a client and watch where they grimace and that's their sore point. That's yeah. the bit that you've got to solve. That's where the opportunities are. So we're looking we're looking for more opportunities. We're looking for more gaps. And the, the whole thing too, I was talking to some young creatives the other day um, and they were, they were looking at um, overseas work, etc. And we know that that's possible, but it's becoming more and more probable that your clients will no longer live in the same city that you do. Uh, and and technology is allowing that to happen. It was quite interesting actually talking to these um, creatives because they're coming back to Newcastle from Melbourne. Yeah. So they've, they've got this whole... Um, Newcastle is almost reinventing itself in a way, I guess, through the creative industry, through this small business um, rise of entrepreneurialism that is happening in our city, which is fantastic. Um, but they're... they're actually coming back here from places like Melbourne because they see the creative potential, And uh, I think is fantastic. You were saying off-air that a number of the uh, high prof- higher-profile, innovative speakers, if you like, know, um, uh, are finding Newcastle a great place to come back and revisit. That's right. I mean, this afternoon I'm going to, I'm going to pick Roger Langston up, who's... Um, who was in Newcastle uh, earlier this year for the BRW breakfast. Um, they came first. Planet Innovation came first on the list last year and they've actually come in again third this year, which is 
fantastic that a company, you know, has a has a top spot two years in a row. But he enjoyed Newcastle so much, loved the vibe and everything. He's coming up to do some workshops um, tomorrow. Lisa Messenger, who was here in May for the Innovation Forum and who um, runs the entrepreneurial magazine Renegade Collective, is coming next week to do a series of talks and a series of workshops. So these people are actually recognising um, the benefit and the wealth of creative and the wealth of entrepreneurialism that's happening here, and they're wanting to come back here. So it's not only having our eyes opened, it's, it's opening other people's eyes from outside the city and inviting them back in. we better keep uh, Newcastle or Hunter a secret, though, hadn't we? I think <laughs> so. We can't tell too many people. We don't want it to get too busy. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time. We'll have a chat again next week. We will. Look forward to it, Julian. Have Thank a great you. week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christine Sikiatis there with... Uh, well, it's interesting. There's a big growth in uh, small business, or particularly entrepreneurs' uh, creativity. And interesting that Hunter's becoming well-known for this uh, innovation, which is absolutely fantastic. It's time to have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one's an interesting one. Turn your boring Q&A session around. A lot of Q&As fall flat. Not all speakers are good at handling questions. Not everyone participates and not all questions are relevant. Luckily, there are some ways to make these sessions better. Firstly, do an inverse Q&A. The speaker poses a question to the audience, letting people discuss it with their neighbours. Secondly, ask for reactions, not questions. Invite people to share observations. Thirdly, have people vet questions in groups. Ask people in to think of good, relevant questions in small groups and then ask for some examples. And finally, tell a final story after the Q&A. Stop the Q&A session a few minutes before the end to share one final example. That way, even if it falls flat, you can still end your session with a bang instead of a fizzle. Those interesting points. It's taken from a little uh, book, Four Ways to Fix the Q&A Session by Thomas Wedelsberg. What about this one? None of us likes uh, networking sometimes, but it's good to do. Make networking less stressful. Networking doesn't always come naturally, but finding the right type of gathering that suits your strengths and interests will make networking much more successful and enjoyable. Don't force yourself to attend every event for the sake of networking. Make sure the environment works for you. If you don't like the crowded, noisy functions, steer clear of boozy harbour cruises and after parties. If you can't find a suitable event, create your own. Bring together different interest groups of colleagues that work in your field or that you meet at conferences. And make sure that you commit when you are at your best if you're not a morning person, don't sign up 500 people networking breakfast. Subject every event to a cost-benefit analysis. Ask yourself who's likely to attend and if they're your target market, target audience and whether you're actually going to get some connections with them. So some interesting points there. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, voice authentication from the tax office and the importance of responding to uh, any letters that you get from them and the growth of small businesses. Thank you. for. Um, in a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have a minute on innovation with Christina Sikiatis, and we'll look at some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. 
I'd love your company again at the same time for business and the law and you. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and, as Dale Carnegie once said, the successful man will profit from his mistakes and try again in a different way.